0: This is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts, this is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel host, Coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the piney woods. Good to have you with us this morning. It is Thursday, the 30th day of November, 2023. Oh, I, uh, did not want to wake up when my alarm went off this morning at all. So if I seem a little bit groggy, um, we had, uh, high energy kids last night at youth group and, uh. Uh, just had a good time. Um, always fun. love those kids. Um, we're going through our, our projects this year are to memorize Psalm one and then to um, and we're studying the birth of the church and 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 looking at acts. So that's our uh, that's our time in the word and and time with the kids and still, you know, Playing basically older versions of Awana games in the basement of the church and just having a good time. Um, but they were high energy last night, um, so it was a good time. Oh, so but anyway, I'm tired. So if I uh, if I seem kind of if I just kind of phase out on you, you know why? Um, they wore me out. This is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to Scripture, theology, history, current events, and anything else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble. And then the podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. Head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are certain to find something worth listening to, I guarantee it, or double your money back. Oh, yeah, interesting stuff today. There was a, um, when you, uh, I start my day listening to a couple of podcasts as I'm getting showered and dressed and and everything in the morning when I first get up. And um, one of those podcasts is The Morning Wire from Daily Wire. And, and that's one you ought to add to your podcast list if you don't already. And they did a story today, I believe Megan Basham was the, the reporter on it, about the federal prosecutors subpoenaed Twitter back in 2020-2021 to get the names of every person who liked or retweeted a Donald Trump tweet in that time period we always laugh about you know being on a government watch list that's got to be thousands of Americans if not more I, I don't i don't remember you know obviously he hasn't used his twitter account to Twitter, you know, under Jack Dorsey uh, suspended his account. Elon Musk reinstated it, but um, Trump now has his own social website, and so he's doing his posts over there on Truth Social, and uh, which I've heard isn't doing too well. Um, I have it. I hardly use it. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'm... I'm I'm a Twitter guy. That's where you really want to interact with me. It's probably Twitter. Um, I, I, uh, Twitter and then Facebook. And then third would probably be Gab. Um, and and uh, I've got Gitter and I've got Truth Social. Um, I, I have a couple others that are pretty much dormant. I haven't been on them in weeks. But um, Twitter and Facebook, and like I said, and then, to a little extent, Gab is where I interact with people. Um, uh, true, I, I have a true social account, but I'm not on it much. And But, uh, you know, Trump used to, I mean, he had millions of followers on Twitter. And how many of them liked or retweeted something he posted? Well, they all ended up on a government watch list. Guess what? And, and it was interact with. So it was, it was like, retweet, post, um, comment on, you know, if they replied to it, um, which would be interesting because it would have put in a lot of people um, who didn't like Trump on the watch list because they would have replied in a negative sense to something Trump had tweeted. But it's just interesting to me that the, the government is spending these sorts of resources to to watch people, um, it is really dystopian. Uh, you know the the dystopian future that Orwell warned us about. Um, not only Orwell, but there's a whole, the entire um, there's a, a subgenre of science fiction. Called cyberpunk, and it, that's a pretty wide-ranging uh, batch of of stories itself. But that would include things like you know Blade Runner, um, and there have been books on it and everything. And basically, it's a it's living in a technological dystopian totalitarian state, um, generally controlled by um, corporations evil, vicious corporations who are just out to make money. Um, And this is the, this has been a a genre of science fiction for 40, 50 years. And, and there have been some good stories that have come out of that. I mean, it's a, you know, but this dystopian totalitarian, uh, uh, it, it really is becoming, becoming a reality. Um, I haven't read it yet, but I heard an interview over the weekend with the author of a book called uh, The Rise of the Controllogarchs. And he's talking about the the big billionaires, um, George Soros, Bill Gates, Klaus Schwab, um, these big billionaire industrialists who are banding together for political and purposes and and this desire to control you know most people don't realize and I, I didn't realize it until just recently. The largest owner of farmland in the United States is apparently Bill Gates. He's just been buying up farms all over the place why you know it makes you wonder what are these guys up to you know it's not it's not like he's just trying to build better computer software for people to have more productivity and stuff like that they they're they're doing things like you know school grants and stuff that but the school grants the the money they get donated to schools is targeted toward these specific techno-leftist stuff. Um, so it's a weird, you know, and, and I haven't got the book yet. I ordered it. It hadn't arrived yet. I'm, I'm interested to dig into this because um, the guy had the, he had the receipts, at least it appeared to be in the, in the uh, interview. And we've all been looking at the rise of things like the World Economic Forum if you weren't aware of it before 2020 <laughs> um in 2021 you better be aware of it now so like you know the big annual world economic forum gathering in in davos, switzerland um which is apparently a beautiful city my my parents went there when back in the 70s so i would have been, you know, 9 10 11 um when, when dad was in sales, um, before he started his construction company, we were living in Atlanta and they visited, they went there because of a business conference that was not related to the World Economic Forum. Um, but basically dad, dad was the marketing manager for, a line of surgical equipment manufactured in Switzerland that was being marketed at the time here in the United States by Smith Klein. And dad was the marketing manager, the national sales manager for that line of surgical equipment. And this was a conference that was held by the surgical equipment manufacturer for their people, for their sales, their sales force around the globe. And they had it in Davos, Switzerland. Um, and apparently Davos has been, you know, famous for a long time. as just a, a beautiful place that where business conferences get hosted. But one of the conferences that gets hosted there every year is the World Economic Forum. And so that's the... You know, that's where Davos is known for, is the World Economic Forum. And and I encourage you, go to the World Economic Forum website and read some of the stuff that they want to see done. The the Great Reset. Everybody says the Great Reset is some conspiracy theory. No, it's all over their website. So <laughs> you just, you know. So we got all these billionaires getting together. We've got the government with watch lists of people who retweeted or liked a tweet by President Trump. You know, make Orwell fiction again, please. Um, The other thing, there was another story on on Daily Wire this morning that talked about how the TSA and the Air Marshal Service has been Assigning an air marshal, they made a list of everybody who had traveled to Washington, D.C., who was in the city on January 6, 2020, or 2021. they was in the city. And they made a list, and they're called unidentified terrorists, something like that. But they're basically a terrorist watch list that if you traveled to Washington DC. Excuse me for for that week of January 6, 2021. You're on a TSA list. This has nothing to do with whether you were at the Capitol or anything. This is you were just in the city and they have assigned air marshals to follow these people wherever they whenever they travel. So if you're on this watch list and you get a ticket to fly home for Christmas, there, there's going to be an air marshal on the plane who's specifically there to watch you. And the funniest thing was that one of the one of the people on the the list was the wife of an air marshal. She had attended the Trump rally, not the Capitol, but just the Trump speech. Well, whenever she travels, it's usually on a family vacation. So there's an air marshal following another air marshal and his family because the wife is on this watch list. And, uh, you know, so just what kind of world are we living in here? If this isn't the dystopian techno control, total, techno to- techno totalitarian, I think I just co- coined a word techno totalitarian. You know, this kind of, this level of watchful intrusion into the lives of average citizens is only possible because of computer. (laughs) If we did not have the level of technology that we have today, for which I'm very thankful, it couldn't be used for stuff like this. (laughs) But it is. So let's, uh, you know, be aware of the stuff that's going on around you. All right, all of that was not on my notes, but it was just something that I've been thinking about ever since I listened to that show. So if you have a chance, go back and listen to today's Morning Wire podcast. It's a 15-20 minute, every morning, top story type newscast um, that that I have found very informative and, and a good way to start the day. They do not sponsor me. <laughs> they, they don't endorse squirrel chatter. I'm just throwing it out there and saying this is a this is something you might want to look into. Um, if you don't listen to the Daily Wire, the Morning Wire, you, you maybe should. Um, I would encourage you to do so. So what do we have on the schedule for this morning? We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. And it's Thursday, so it's Theology Thursday. We are looking at chapter 18 of the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith of the Assurance of Grace and Salvation. And today we're looking at paragraph 2 of chapter 18. All right, without further delay, let us begin, as is our practice, with the prayer of confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. And now our reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. Today's devotional is, What is God's Kingdom? Your Kingdom Come, Matthew 6, 10a. Dr. MacArthur writes, Kingdom is not so much a geographical territory as it is a sovereign dominion. When Christians pray, Your Kingdom Come... They are asking God to rule through Christ's future enthronement, his coming reign over the earth. The Greek for come indicates a sudden, instantaneous coming, and here refers to the coming millennial kingdom, Revelation 20, verse 4. Jesus is not speaking of some indirect effort by human good works to create a godly society on earth. God's coming kingdom will be a kingdom on earth, but not a kingdom of this present world system. Jesus told Pontius Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world, John 18.36. No human kingdom fits with God's, which is why even the best measures to improve society are mere holding actions that only retard sinful corruption until Christ's return establishes his perfect kingdom. Jesus came to preach the kingdom of God, Luke 4.43, and there is no other gospel but the good news of his kingdom. Even during his final days on earth, he was faithful to teach the apostles things concerning the kingdom, Acts 1.3. Yes, the kingdom has a past element that encompasses the Old Testament patriarchs, Matthew 8.11. The kingdom was also present during Jesus' earthly ministry because he, its king, was in the people's midst, Luke 1721. In a sense that is true today, as believers are members of God's invisible kingdom. In a sense that is true today, as believers are members of God's invisible kingdom. But the particular focus of our prayers regarding the kingdom should be future, as we hope for the visible one to come. Ask yourself, what will you miss the least about earthly life when the fullness of his kingdom becomes your forever reality? Doesn't that give you something to really look forward to? Let the genuine Let the genuine hope of this occurrence bolster your hope as you live through the coming days. All right. That's a good word. It is Theology Thursday. We are looking at chapter 18 of the 1689, and this chapter is entitled Of the Assurance of Grace and Salvation. It has four paragraphs. Two weeks ago, we looked at paragraph one. (laughs) Uh, Last week was Thanksgiving. We did not do a Theology Thursday last week. So today we're picking up with paragraph two. I'm going to read paragraph one. And then I'll read paragraph two, and then we will look at talk out talk about and look at paragraph two in detail. So, chapter eighteen of the London Baptist Confession of Faith of sixteen eighty-nine, of the assurance of grace and salvation, paragraph one. Although temporary believers and other unregenerate men may vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumptions of being in the favor of God and in a state of salvation, which hope of theirs shall perish, yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity, sincerity, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, may in this life be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace." and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which hope shall never make them ashamed. Paragraph 2 This certainty is not a bare conjectural and probable persuasion grounded upon a fallible hope, but an infallible assurance of faith founded on the blood and righteousness of Christ revealed in the gospel and also upon the inward evidence of those graces of the Spirit unto which promises are made, and on the testimony of the Spirit of adoption, witnessing with our spirits that we are the children of God, and, as a fruit thereof, keeping the heart both humble and holy. The the assurance that a true Christian has that he is in the faith, is a real and tangible thing. There are systems of belief that, that do not communicate any insurance assurance. Some of them are, you know, Christians who are wandering around in a, a state of consci- con constant agitation thinking that, you know, am I saved? Am I not saved? Um, there are certain belief systems that believe you can, you know, if you're saved one minute, you can sin and be lost the next minute, and you have to, you know. So they're they're worried about, okay, am I going to die? You know, what if what if I sin right before I die, and I don't have a chance to repent of it? And so there's this this a lack of assurance that is disheartening. Um, this is definitely true of Roman Catholicism. That, of course, they don't. You know, it's a it's a, grace plus works equals salvation is that formula. And so, if you don't do the right works, or if you don't do enough works, the grace isn't sufficient. It has to be grace plus works. This is why their the the way their whole confession system works and. The entire concept of purgatory is to cleanse them of these sins that they were not able to repent of, and 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 uh, perform penance for in this life. That's not biblical Christianity. The Christian can know he is saved, and and this is talking about how we have that assurance. The first clause of the paragraph says, this certainty, the certainty of salvation, is not a bare conjectural and probable persuasion grounded upon a fallible hope. So this is not just, well, you know, and, and we see this sort of false assurance that we talked about two weeks ago. We see this sort of false assurance that came out of Finneyism and revivalism where people have a false hope of salvation based upon, you know, they prayed a prayer, they walked an aisle, they they took some action that although their life was never changed, they can point back to that action and say, you know, I put my coins in the parking meter, I'm okay. That's not true assurance, as we saw last time. The assurance that a true Christian has is an infallible assurance of faith. We know what we believe, and we know it is true, that if Christ died for me, the penalty of my sin is paid for. If Christ lived the perfect life that he lived for me, I know that I am clothed in his righteousness. It is an assurance of faith, of true faith. It is infallible because the object of the faith is infallible. It it doesn't matter, you know, you have a one inch thick steel cable and you have to swing across a vast pit on this supported by this one inch thick, thick steel cable. You know, it doesn't matter how little faith you have in that cable. It's the cable that holds you, not your faith. It's by faith. You take hold of the cable, but it's the cable that holds you by the same token. You can have all the faith in the world in a flimsy piece of string, but it will not hold you up if you swing across that same deep chasm because it's not the faith. It's the object of the faith. And the object of the faith of the Christian is the Lord Jesus Christ, his perfect life, his atoning death. That's the object of our faith. So that's how we can have an infallible assurance of faith is because we have a knowledge of the infallibility of the person excuse me where we have, in whom we've put that faith we are given hebrews 6:11 as a proof text where the writer of the hebrews says and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. So the, the, the assurance of salvation is realizing the full the full assurance of hope by diligently studying, the scriptures, by diligently spending time in God's word, you will grow in your faith and grow in the assurance of your salvation. So this is, you know, it's, yeah, there's something you need to do to develop this assurance. There is a diligence that which you apply yourself to the Christian life, Especially, you know, the apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread. Be with the church, study the word of God, and and the assurance of salvation will come. It's a natural outflowing of being diligent in your Christian living. Um and, and, and you need to study right doctrine. Like I said, we just talked about some some poor doctrines that can derail you. Um So, you know, being in a solid Bible-believing church where this is diligently taught is going to bring you to the hope of full assurance. Also, staying in Hebrews 6, looking at verse 19, it says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and confirmed, and one which enters within the veil. So, remember, we, we talked about hope last time, and uh, where I said, I hope the Grizzlies beat the, the Bobcats in the Brawl of the Wild. The Grizzlies did beat the Bobcats. But that was wishful thinking. There were a lot of Bobcat fans who hoped the Bobcats would beat the Grizzlies. And their hope were solely disappointed. So, you know, and and this Saturday, the Grizzlies are playing the Delaware Blue Hens, and I hope the Grizzlies are triumphant. But again, it's wishful thinking. The hope that we have in Christ is not wishful thinking the hope that we have in christ is a longing for the realization of something we know is going to happen in a sense the the hope that we have in christ is a lot like the hope that a child has as they go to bed on Christmas Eve of Christmas morning. And a lot of it is they've been walking by that tree for days or weeks, and they've seen the pile of presents underneath it. And they know in the morning they're going to get those presents. That's the hope of a sure thing. And, and so this is, you know, Um, This is the kind of hope that we have in Christ. We know the presents are under the tree. We know they have our name on them. Gosh, go read Ephesians chapter 1. All the riches of the glory of his kingdom are given to us. We know the presents are under the tree. We know they have our name tag on them. They're not empty boxes with wrapping paper on them. They're not mere decorations. The presents are there. And we're looking forward to Christmas morning when we can open them. So that's that's the, the hope in the Bible is that looking forward with anticipation to something you know is coming. It's not mere wishful thinking. So the, the hope that we have... This infallible assurance of faith is founded on the blood and righteousness of Christ revealed in the gospel. And that's key. It's not, as I said, wishful thinking. It's not just an empty promise. We have a reason for our hope. The reason for our hope is Christ lived the perfect life and then died the sacrificial death on our behalf. The blood is the death. The righteousness of Christ is the perfect life. Those are both important. That's the passive and active obedience of Christ. He was the passive obedience of Christ as he submitted himself to death on the cross. The active obedience of Christ is the perfect life he lived. And both of those are necessary for our salvation because we need to be clothed in perfect righteousness and our sin needs to be paid for. So, we have both of those, you know, accomplishments, and that's what our hope is based on. You know. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and righteousness. Hebrews 6:17 and 18, staying in chapter 6 of Hebrews, which is dealing with this whole question. If you want a homework assignment, read Hebrews 6 today. In the same way God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. The only way not to have this hope is to believe that God didn't tell the truth when he told us that Christ died for us. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, believe God when he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the basis of our hope. God isn't a liar. He said, you know, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can relax. Relax in the rest that has been provided for you, knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished all this for you. So, that is, God can't lie. And it, it's that that we can take refuge in and have strong encouragement, in the words of the writer of the Hebrews. The next clause says, and also upon the inward evidence of those graces of the Spirit unto which promises are made. So, you have the promises of God. You also have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Because we're we're sealed with the Spirit unto the day of salvation. The, The the fact that we have the Spirit of God indwelling us, the Holy Spirit is also assuring us of the sure knowledge of our salvation. The promises are made. The graces are given. The Spirit has been bestowed so that we who are in Christ have every reason to feel assurance. Listen to Second Peter 4, 1 through 5. Excuse me, second Peter one, four through five. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence knowledge. The the changed life that the Holy Spirit works in the life of a believer is evidence that the believer is in Christ. Peter continues, chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and choosing sure, for in doing these things you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. So what is Peter saying? Is Peter saying work for your salvation? No. What Peter is saying is that your desire to live a moral life, your desire to be obedient to the word of God, is evidence of the work of God in your life. This is part of the assurance. So your belief in the promises of God and your desire to be pleasing to God are both the working of God to give you assurance. Which is why when a Christian, even a genuine Christian, falls into a season of sin... Which we all do. Um, when that happens, we have, um, you know, and doubts arise. Am I really a Christian? That's real. Because, you know, and that's, 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 even that is God working in you to drive you back to Him. So, you know, return, come back. You know, because when you're walking with God, you're not doubting. And that's, you know, so living living a life of obedience, the desire to live a life of obedience, is the Holy Spirit working upon you. You also have the testimony of the Spirit. The seventh clause says, And on the testimony of the Spirit of adoption, witnessing with our spirits that we are children of God. Romans eight, fifteen and sixteen. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So there is a sense in which the indwelling Holy Spirit just brings us assurance. Because we don't have a spirit of fear. We have a spirit of adoption. Because we have been made children of God. And the Holy Spirit reminds us of that. So that we can have this assurance of faith. And the final clause, And as fruit thereof, keeping the heart both humble and holy. 1 John 3, 1-3 See how great a love the Father has given to us, that we would be called children of God, and we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not been manifested as yet what we will be, We know that when he is manifested, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself, just as he is pure. This is an eschatological passage. This is talking about either when we go to him in death, or he returns to the earth in glory. And it depends on which group of people you're in. If you're alive when he returns, this is talking about you. If you die before he returns, this is talking about you. He says, you know, we have the testimony. You know, we've been called children of God. We've been adopted. We have all this. He says, now we are children of God, but it has not yet been manifested what we will be. We know that when he is manifested either when we see him in heaven at our death or when we see him on the earth when he returns when he is manifested we will be like him because we will see him just as he is the reason we don't know don't yet know what we will be is because we cannot comprehend it it is so beyond any human experience that we cannot comprehend what eternal righteousness will be like. So much of our thought process is shaped by sin and conflict and the world that we live in. Have you ever, you know, studied creative writing and you know writing of fiction? You know, there has to be a conflict there. There has to be. Nobody's going to buy a book where nothing happens. Nobody, you know, murder mysteries imply somebody got murdered. You know, adventure stories. There's there's conflict and danger and and none of that's going to exist in eternity. There's not going to be conflict and danger. There's not going to be murder. There's not going to be war. And we can't we can't comprehend existing that way. Not not just on the big scale, you know, wars between nations, but I mean, just the the, the petty disagreements we have with each other on this earth. We can't imagine life without those things. Because it's so wrapped up in our human experience in a fallen world. Yet, that's promised to us. So, we 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 don't know what we're going to be like. But we're going to be like him. Because that's God's will, Romans 8, that he is conforming us to the likeness of his son. So that eventually, when the whole process is done, we're going to be like Christ in righteousness and morality and I mean, we're never going to be God. Christ is God. But the the Christ-likeness that we are striving for will be fully manifested in us in ways that we cannot even imagine. And so that's uh, you know, he's going to uh, and everyone who has this hope, he says, is purifies himself just as Christ is pure. So, even though we cannot comprehend what true Christ-likeness is like, we are to strive towards Christ-likeness as best as we are able in this life. And that's all part of the assurance of salvation. Knowing, looking forward to the, the being changed, knowing that we will be like Christ, this is, this is a fruit that is being worked in our lives where we are being conformed to the likeness of Christ. If you are in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit is working to conform you to the very image of Christ to make you more and more Christ-like. And that's wrapped up in your assurance because you can see that in your life. And you come to understand that and rejoice in that. So, yes, the assurance that we have is not mere wishful thinking. The assurance that a true Christian has is real and it's tangible. It's wrought by faith in the promises of God. And it's wrought by the indwelling Holy Spirit and his his work in the life of the believer. So, if you are in Christ, be assured. If you do not have that assurance, I urge you to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that is the only source of hope. The the perfect life and sacrificial death of Christ is the only hope sinful man has. And so repent and believe the gospel. Put your faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ alone. And then study his word, walk with his people, and grow in your assurance of faith. All right. Let us now recite our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Colic for the 26th Sunday after Pentecost. Almighty and everlasting God, whose will it is to restore all things in your well-beloved Son, the King of kings and Lord of lords, mercifully grant that the peoples of the earth, divided and enslaved by sin, may be freed and brought together under his most gracious rule, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Colic for Guidance. Heavenly Father, in you we live and move and have our being. We humbly pray you so to guide and govern us by your Holy Spirit, that in all the cares and occupations of our life we may not forget you, but may remember that we are ever walking in your sight through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And the colic for the unrepentant. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son, you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven, given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home, and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for this Thursday I hope you have a great day ahead of you. We are sliding into the weekend. We are sliding into the first Sunday of Advent as we uh, prepare our hearts for Christmas. So I just lift you up in prayer and and ask that, that God would bless you as we come into this holiday season. So folks, remember, do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.